Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito This is the Falcoholic Podcast, the official podcast of the Atlanta Falcons on the SB Nation Podcast Network. This is David Walker, and I can't get through another opening because, of course, we have on Michael Disruptive but Great Rothstein, who probably doesn't remember, but I legitimately kept a sticky note on my Oh, monitor. I remember. My memory <laughs> My memory for now is, a, is still a steel trap at age 41, and I'll take it. Oh my God. The only, or one of my favorite guests. And of course he always like breaks me up midway through uh, the, the ad break and midway through the, the, the intro disrupts me, but of course he's fantastic. ESPN reporter for the Falcons host of um, the, from the perch podcast, which I highly recommend. And uh, you guys go check that out on iTunes and give it some good ratings. Michael does a great job with that. Michael, thanks for being here. Oh, thank, thanks for having me. Uh, by the way, just David, so you don't feel bad. This happens to me as well, but it happens in press conferences. If you watched, <laughs> when, no, if you if you watched Wednesday's press conference, uh, there were. So Arthur Smith is a big fan of the back and forth. If you haven't noticed, if you watched mm-hmm. the press conference, and literally he and I were going back and forth because I asked him. I forget what it was even about, but. He started interrupting me, and I, I just threw my hands up because, like, he said something to D-Led, and, like, he was just like, oh, I took you off your spot. And I was like, that's usually my job for you. I mean, like, so this is, like, <laughs> the game that we play. He did a good job of taking me off my spot. I still got my question out. Um, it took, like, a minute and a half, but that's how that goes. But, no, it, it's – so, understand, it's not only me doing it to you. It happens – everywhere with everybody it just seems to be the way of the world right now in the 2021 land of the falcons <laughs> fair enough um before we get into the falcons though along the lines of the disrupted but great um i found out randomly you were a big matt ryan fan and not matt ryan the quarterback of the falcons <laughs> i was about to say wait a minute do not put that on me um, because I, I root for nobody but me when it comes to you know, no, no, Matt Ryan, the, the actor who actually owns the Matt Ryan tag uh, name on Twitter, um, because the, the Matt Ryan, the Falcons has like M Ryan underscore o, or Oh four or something like that. Oh, two. Oh, two. Yeah. Um, but the Matt Ryan, the actor who was, who played Constantine in the yes, TV show, did. Constantine and is in legends of tomorrow, uh, a, a very good show. Um, so, yeah, I found out, you know, a little bit about uh, your taste in shows. Speak a little bit about Legends of Tomorrow, because I feel like 
That is. All right, so I'm going to put on my like CW hat now. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I watch an inordinate amount of CW shows for <laughs> um, my age, I, I guess. But they're all the superhero shows for the most part. They, I, I'm not a big believer in the DC movies, but the DC Arrowverse TV shows I think are incredibly well done. And Legends of Tomorrow, despite its really bad first season, it was bad. Right? Yeah. Terrible. Uh, has rebounded. Actually, been one of my favorite shows on television. Matt Ryan, who plays Con- who played Constantine in that show, now he actually has another role this season. If you haven't watched yesterday's episode, I'm not going to spoil it yet. He does have another role this season. But if you read anything on TV, you know that he was coming back. Uh, and yeah, so no, this in part started. I've always wanted to know this. So like, I have like a long list uh, in my head, and also kind of sometimes written out of like weird random and fascinating questions i want to ask people um (laughs) and no and and one of them had been because i'm always looking for stories and like the weird unique different stuff and one of them was whether matt ryan the actor and matt or matt ryan the football player knew who matt ryan the actor was and then if he did i was going to then try and get to matt ryan the actor and, and vice versa and because i just yeah it was a thing and unfortunately i was very disappointed to learn that matt ryan the football player was not that aware of matt ryan the actor which was very disappointing for me i doubt that matt ryan the actor had any idea that that was going on (laughs) but for me michael rothstein the reporter learning that matt ryan the football player did not necessarily know who matt ryan the actor was was sad um, but Legends of Tomorrow is a great show. Katie Lotz is the lead. Uh, you might remember her. She had a small small bit role in Mad Men as mm-hmm. well, but she is fantastic as Sarah Lance. She was also in Arrow for yep. a little while. Arrow, great show just off the air. Stephen Amell, who's now, I forget, he, he's, he's in the show Heels. He's, yep. He was Arrow. He, fantastic, for ta- fantastic performance from him he's uh, actually i've listened to a bunch of podcasts that he's been on just because he happened to make the rounds on the some of the podcasts that i used to listen to and he, he's a fascinating guy he's actually a big sports fan big oh, syracuse yeah. fan and like toronto blue jays fan so uh the syracuse thing i can understand having gone there uh but yeah legends of tomorrow great show totally i why it's on they move they keep moving it around like every year it's on oh, a no. different night so yep. thank thank dvr you know i have that and you know i'm I'm one of the random people that still has cable which shouldn't have but whatever here we are (laughs) uh and no so i that's dvr is now wednesday night so pretty much every wednesday if i'm not home i i will generally catch up on the dvr on thursday or friday with that uh great show uh really I highly recommend it, but maybe just like fast forward or read the recaps on the first season and then just start yeah. the second season. You'll you'll thank me later. Yeah, I almost I almost didn't follow up with the second season. The first season was so weak. Oh, and, I was really close to doing that as well. Yeah. But like literally, I, I am such a big like fan of Katie Lotz and her acting. She's I think she's fantastic. And also, I was watching all of the other shows. Mm-hmm. So I was like, and they, they will sometimes drop Easter eggs and have continuity, but much like Marvel shows and Marvel movies, like, you know, and I just didn't want to miss any of those because I felt like I had missed some of them because I wasn't watching, I forget which show it was, 
that I just didn't watch. And I felt like I missed a couple of things. And I was like, no. Yeah. I mean, let me stick with it. And I, then I really liked it. Uh, but I mean, the Marvel stuff both on, and I'm not just saying this to be like, you know, company, company man here, but the Marvel stuff on <laughs> Disney plus has been, I think, fantastic as well. And mm-hmm. I can, there was actually a point. So on my, the last iteration of my podcast, See, this is what happens when you ask me a non-football question is I give a longer answer. No, I um, love it, man. <laughs> but when, when I had my old podcast, we had actually discussed at one point because I had decided to watch every, I had not seen most of the Marvel movies when the pandemic started. And, you know, I was living in Michigan. It was cold. It was winter. Lived by myself. So you can't really see anybody, right? Like, so I was like, well, what exactly can I do? And I, I picked up Spanish and I tried and failed at learning the guitar. But I was also like, all right, I'm going to actually watch every Marvel movie in chronological order and the Marvel series as well, because I had a lot of time on my hands. <laughs> and so literally I blew through every Marvel movie, the two seasons of Agent Carter, underrated show, by the way, uh, here the Atwell, another incredible actress mm-hmm. uh and then all what ended up being seven seasons because i happened to hit it right at the start of the final season timed it well of ages of shield which was a great show i wish that more people watched that uh and yeah so based off of that i kind of got sucked into the marvel universe and now give me you know give me every marvel thing that you can uh <laughs> and i will watch it and i'm even because i have this long drive from atlanta to flowery branch all the time i'm even digging up like the marvel's marvel wastelanders podcasts because i'm just looking for podcasts to listen to at times oh, that wow. are not sports so I, I'm, I'm 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 all in on that but yeah so that's your answer on matt ryan kind of you know weaved around but matt ryan the actor very very talented also go watch constantine the television show or at least if you can find it on netflix or whatever wherever it is yeah it's uh oh one season of it i think it was originally on cbs so it may be on that paramount um, nbc oh nbc that's right yeah it was a bad fit on nbc it was it should have been no, on- supergirl was originally on cbs and then yes. moved to cw they ended their run on tuesday yeah yep Set yeah. it was six seasons or something like that. Good ending, by the way. Uh, you know, that it was a good ending for that show. It's but hard that to, show, I, I almost gave up on that show a, a few times. It was, yeah, they had rough toward the end. I think it was a little bit more inconsistent than some of the other shows, but yeah, um, yeah, I, for those who are listening to the podcast in audio form, we don't have a video form. Um, and obviously, you're here for Falcons content, but uh, I had to we are, we're gonna get to Falcons content, we now. are. Uh, for all five listeners that are left, <laughs> I promise on my podcast because it's just me. We don't have I don't have these random sidebars like this, but it happens on this podcast. Oh, it happens every time on this podcast. <laughs> but for those that can't see, I think Michael can see it, like in the background, because we do share videos. So oh yeah, you do. I've got you have all the like Batman and Superman and Spider Man and some yeah. Falcon stuff and and. Uh, the yellow jacket superhero, which yeah. is really probably just Georgia Tech. It's Georgia uh, Tech. Yeah. Yeah. So yes, I wanted to get that question in because um I, I was I'm a big fan of those shows. And of course, we'll point out um that you also you are also a Ted Lasso fan. Um, I am. And the I guy am. who that, that is my I think we talked that. about this on the last podcast. We did. We won't we won't we won't re uh, rehash it. Um but next time we have you on, we're, we're going to dig in a little bit deeper into the other TV shows as well. That's fine. 
<laughs> I'm I'm all, I'm here for that. I am absolutely here for that. Uh, listen, I can I can probably write like a PhD level essay on like Ted Lasso. And I, if you okay, so I'm going to give a quick plug here, and it's going to be very quick. I promise. So if you go back, there was my colleague Adam Rittenberg a couple of weeks ago wrote a story about how actually Ted Lasso is in some ways affected how ADs hire college coaches. So it's like a real thing. This wasn't me just like being ridiculous like last month or two months ago. Like it's a real thing that's going on. And, you know, it also showed part of Arthur Smith's personality, which, you know, some Falcons fans on social media did not love, but whatever. We're not going back down that road. No, not, not going back down that road. No, not not. not going to do it. Not, oh. not, not, not going to do it. No, nope, <laughs> not, not going to do it. No, nope, not going to do it. Oh, man. That and was... hopefully, so, hopefully so one or two people just got the reference of what I did there, but I doubt it. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. Okay. Um, you have to be of a certain age that you watch Saturday Night Live to know what I just did. Yeah, I'm, I'm older than you, so I've got you beat there. Um, <laughs> not that much older. Like, yeah. I'm not going to date myself. All right, let's we'll get into the Falcon stuff now. Okay, that, uh, that might be good. And we're sort of at the midway point. We're, you know, eight games in a 17 game season. We'll call it the midway point. Um, but I want to get your take on, and you covered a little bit of this on your podcast, your excellent podcast. Uh, I think it came out today, the one yeah, called Cowboys and talked about some of the guys in the first half. But I want to ask you this first question. Most surprising offensive player to you through the first eight games from Falcons? Hmm, that's a good question. Uh, so I'm going to give two answers. I'm going to give a positive answer and a, a negative answer. I like it. The positive answer is obviously Cordero. I actually thought about Matt Ryan, but Cordero Patterson, and it's not even close because yeah. I, I wondered exactly where Cordero Patterson fit on the roster other than being a returner when training camp started and the guys playing his way into potentially a really nice contract mm -hmm. next year somewhere, whether that's Atlanta or elsewhere. Uh, and I, Arthur Smith figured out how to use him and has done what no one else has done. And, and the funny thing is, is that everybody, maybe it's, you know, trying to dig too deep or find something there that's not, but no one will really go into explaining it. You know, every, whenever I ask Arthur about it, the answer is always, uh, well, had a vision, had a plan, and, and we're doing that. And you ask Cordero, well, did you know that this was going to be what it was? And he's like, oh, well, I just go where they tell me. And that's that's pretty much the answers you get. So it's you know just like a giant circle that you get that, that tells you nothing. But, yeah, I mean, listen, this has worked really well. And I think that part of why it's worked is because it's hard for defenses to necessarily find him on every play because he lines up so many different spots yeah. and they're asking him to do so many different things that's not predictable, of which that was the calling card of Arthur Smith when they hired him. That's part of why mm -hmm. they hired him was his, his ability to be mo so multiple in what he does with personnel on offense and his creativity. And you're seeing that on display with Cordero Patterson and with Kyle Pitts and, you know, I think that he's he's shown with Cordero Patterson exactly how good he can be as a coordinator, especially once maybe he gets even more of, you know, more talent on the offensive side of the ball than what he has right now. And then, oh, sorry, my negative one. I mean, you know, it's his right. 
I, I want to say Mike Davis. I really do. But I think that people just got caught up in the like, Mike Davis is their number one running back because mm-hmm. they have no one else right. thing. I actually want to go with Russell Gage. And I say that because, I mean, Russ has disappeared from some games. He played well last week. Mm-hmm. He was hurt for he was hurt for half of the first half, so maybe it's not entirely fair. But he had what seven eight hundred yards last year. A lot yeah. of people thought he was going to have a breakout year because he was going to be playing alongside Calvin Ridley and Kyle Pitts. And now, obviously, Calvin Ridley hasn't played, you know, due due to mental health issues. And and Kyle Pitts is up and down a little bit, but has shown real flashes. And Russell Gates just kind of hasn't delivered all that much it's been here and there but it hasn't been with any sort of consistency i mean sure he had what i think it was seven for 68 something like that last yeah, week it was less than 10 up. yards per carry or per, right. per catch but 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 it, no but my thing is the week before he wasn't even targeted it's not yeah. even like he was targeted four times and they said they were going to look at him once or twice and he was cut well i'm sorry if you're going to be the number one receiver like you don't not get targeted yeah. Like that just doesn't happen. Like Tajay Sharp should not out target you. He might out catch you, but you shouldn't out target you if you're the number one receiver. And that to mm-hmm. me is in a year that Russell Gage is in a contract year that theoretically, if he played well, could have made a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. Russell Gage is putting himself in a position that I, I, I don't know what happens. I mean, he'll be on a team, but I, I don't know what happens with him. Now he has a second half of the year and he can maybe – really explode a little bit in the second half of the year. And maybe the ankle injuries were really bugging him and still worried. He, he fought his way back, but yeah, it's just to me, the production has not been there for what I thought it would be. And maybe that's my, my own fault for having those expectations, but on offense. Yeah. To me, it's, you know, everyone wants to talk about Mike Davis, but understand, I think a lot of people thought that Mike Davis was going to be the the bell cow back, right? And he's instead mm-hmm. splitting time with, with Cordero Patterson. So if he had been that bell cow back, he might have another 150 to 200 yards. And then you're not really complaining about Mike Davis because Mike Davis at a halfway point at that would have close to what, 450 or 500 yards. And you, you know, you're on pace at that point. You're, you're all right. But you know, Mike Davis has not been good. I asked actually Dave Ragone on Thursday about like, Mike Davis and how they can get him going and, and what they've been. And he didn't even mention his running. He talked about his pass protection, which usually is a sign that, Hey, I don't want to be critical about this guy's running. So I'm going to find something else to talk about. That's positive. I mean, yeah. I've covered enough running backs that, that have been struggling to know what that means. And his pass pro has been good, but yeah, I mean, that's the deal with Mike Davis. But to me, Russell Gage, I think, you know, people he he goes forgotten a lot because so much attention is paid to Kyle Pitts and ever and so many people looked at at Calvin Ridley's situation that there were decent expectations and decent mm-hmm. hope that Russell Gage would be would take a would break out and take another step this year and that just hasn't happened. Yeah, especially with Julio not on the team too. I mean, he, he becomes the de facto, you know, second wide receiver. Right. Well, that was yeah, and, and then be, I mean, for most of the season. He's been the number one wide receiver, and yeah. he is hasn't produced anywhere. He, you know, he's shown clearly he can't necessarily be a one. And the question is, can he be a good two? And, yeah. and I think that's still, I think that's still open. That can still happen. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, you just, I, I don't love the production that you've gotten at, out of Russell Gage, yeah. and, and that's that's concerning, especially because I think they're going to need that in the second half of the year. 
and I, I, I get it with Gage. Um, the name I probably would have gone with was would have been Hayden Hurst because I thought the two tight end sets, he would have had a lot more productivity, but he's also been at times completely invisible. Um, I know he's, sure, been, but he's also, I mean, he's also not getting looked at and he was, he's, I, I don't know. I, they're, they're looking at Kyle Pitts so much that, and they're not running two tight end sets. And, and even when they are sometimes running two tight end sets, it's Lee they're Smith not sending both tight ends out. You know, I have no problem with Hayden Hurst's production. It hasn't been great, but I don't think it was, you know, could it be better? Sure. But I, I still think it's, I mean, the what you th- what you thought Gage might be to what he is, is just not, I mean, you can say that about Hurst. That's not a bad choice necessarily to me, but I just, I don't know. I guess I, I didn't have a ton of expectations for as much expectation on Hayden Hurst because I figured they would really try to get Kyle Pitts involved as much as he is. And, you know, there also hasn't been a game where Hayden Hurst has been the number one tight end. There's been, what, three now where Russell Gage has been the number one wide receiver. Yeah. No, that's a fair point. Yep. Um, all right. Defense. Same same question. Most surprising, uh, both good and bad. Hmm, that's a tougher question because I, I would say A.J. Terrell, except I'm not surprised because of what we saw in training camp. I mean, mm-hmm. every day AJ Terrell was making plays, and that's what AJ Terrell is doing now. Uh, I would say the surprise positively would be Ade Ogundeji because okay. you see guys in training camp and in the preseason make plays and then never hear from them again, or they get mm-hmm. buried on the depth chart once the season starts. This guy, you know, was running with the first team all at camp, but he was a fifth, you know. They midday three pick. Those guys usually aren't year one starters. And he's been effective. Listen, is he making a lot of splash plays? No. Is he playing fairly well for a for a midday three pick? Yes. Mm-hmm. Is I you know, I talked to Ted Monachino. This was, I guess, a month ago now. And he told me he sees him as kind of the bell cow of that position at some point. He didn't say now, but understand that's a position that has Dante Fowler, that has Stephen Means, that has at that point had you know Jacob Tuoti Marin, who's since been released, that had that has Brandon Copeland. Like there's some talent there. Now, granted, some of those guys will be gone by next year, but that they both like that they would put that on a day three pick this early, and that this was like a third of the way through the season. Mm-hmm. Tells you, I think, what they think that they have in him, and everything that you've seen so far from him backs that up because he's only going to get better, especially if they are able to add to that pass rush a little bit more. Because he's a very fundamentally sound player, and he's a guy that they that they're trusting. And you know, picking up DNP's defense is hard. It is. It, it, it's really difficult, and he's done that. And not only that, but he's getting a lot of snaps. I mean, he's out snapping veterans here. Yeah, and, and he and listen. His ascent is part of the reason why I think they let go of Jacob Tuoji Mariner because he's not playing him and he's yeah. a younger guy. And, you know, they found a guy in James Fodders that they really like too. And there you go. And that, that that's the story right there. But Ogan Deji to me, probably the biggest surprise. And I'm really curious to see where he goes from here, you know, with the full off season and, and understanding the defense a little bit more because he was a guy who improved every year at Notre Dame yeah. in, a, in a trajectory of he didn't play much. And then, you know, by a fifth year, he was all of a sudden like, oh, well, you're, you're pretty good. 
okay. Uh, and then negatively, that's tough. Um, it, it is, I mean, I, I wanted, you know, I don't want to say a single guy just because I don't think that there's like, I don't see anyone on the secondary that's a disappointment. Like, I know people mm-hmm. might say, oh, where's Richie Grant? Well, Richie Grant, again, a rookie. Richie yeah. Grant was never supposed to play this year. Mm-hmm. Like, that, uh, if they were competitive, like, if they were one and six, one and seven right now, I think you might see a lot more of Richie Grant. But right now, I mean, Eric Harris and Deron Harmon are playing pretty well. Jalen Hawkins has, has shown something. Avery Williams, by the way, another guy who I think you can put maybe in that surprise positively category is holding his own. And by the yeah. way, had Isaiah Oliver not gotten hurt, that was, this was his category with like no question because he was yeah, great playing point. his butt off before he, before he got injured. But Avery Williams played well too. Uh, I would say, I mean, it's the pass rush, right? It's, that it's every single person that is rushing the passer, which is also Ade Ogun, Ogun Deji, but it's just they're not – not only are they not getting home, they're not getting pressure enough to allow Dean Pease to, to maybe be more creative with his calls and, mm-hmm. and do that. And it limits what they can do in the secondary even. They're just not getting home enough. And not only just finishing sacks, because that, that does, sacks don't always mean everything. It's the pressure that they're not getting. So I would say everyone there. It'll be interesting if – and when Dante Fowler comes back, he has practiced on a limited basis the last few days. So we'll see. I, to me, it would be surprising at this point, Thursday night, if Dante Fowler is activated. But he might be yeah, because you have the short week next week against New England. So sometimes the strategy is to not do that when it's a short week just in case the guy comes up sore again and then you lose him on a short week. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, because you're trying to be smart here. It's still a long haul process. But – it would not shock me if it's Dante Fowler here on Sunday either. So, but all all of that. So maybe I would say even to narrow it down further, the defensive line. Yeah. You know, it, Grady Jarrett's a great player, but like even Grady's production hasn't been, at least with the pass rush, great. Yeah, not to um, his normal standard. No, I, and that's you know I think some of that has to do with everything around him, right? Like right. Tyler Davidson's not giving them a ton. Marlon Davidson not giving them a ton. Jonathan Bullard when he was playing was okay, but like you know, again, these are all you know average NFL players. Not that there's anything wrong with that. You need your average NFL players on every mm-hmm. roster and every good roster, but good rosters have their average NFL players really. Sorry about that. Step up to another level, and we just haven't seen that in the pass rush this year. So that to me is, I think, where I would look. Yeah, and just say really that entire position group, particularly the defensive line, add in the edge rushers too, but definitely those linemen around Grady Jarrett. It's not happening enough for for Grady to be able to get anything. And you see the flashes; Grady can still annihilate oh, yeah. double teams at times. But for him to be asked to do that on every single down is not fair to him, mm-hmm. uh, and it's not really productive for the Falcons' defense. I think Sunday was the first time we saw him finally get some one-on-one matchups when they had Pinnell and Anthony Rush, two very big men yes. uh, demanding double teams in the middle of the defensive line. Right, and, and that's what you're starting to see more from DMPs yeah. is I think DMPs recognizes he needs to get Grady Jarrett better matchups because mm-hmm. they've, they've started to use Grady more on the edge. And let's be honest, that tells you more, A, what Grady can do, but B, what they do and don't have yep. at the defensive end spots that they feel the need to move Grady Jarrett out there. Yeah. 
And to be fair, I, I felt like Pinnell and Rush did a fairly good job. Uh, they were okay. On Sunday. They were fine. Yeah. They were fine. They, they, do, mean, they did what you expect of a 350-pound. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Like I said, they were fine. Yeah. They were, you know, I mean, I thought, like, I thought they did a pretty decent job overall. They didn't do an amazing job mm-hmm. because Alvin Kamara still had a really nice day. But, I mean, Saints offensive line is one of the better ones in the NFL. So, yeah, I mean, they were fine. They Listen, Anthony Rush played well enough to get a promotion to the 53-man roster. That's really all you need to know, I think, about what's going on right now on their defensive line. Yeah, and I think that's more than fair. The pass rush is one of, I think, literally 32nd. And they may be – I think they're right there with the Kansas City Chiefs. It's them and the Chiefs that are absolutely struggling to get home um, of all the defenses in the league. And I, I do think when Fowler was there, the pass rush was a little bit better. They weren't a, a good defense, but at least with Fowler, they had some opportunities to get home, and hopefully his return will – boost that but i'm not even then if it's still just fowler and grady that's still not enough collectively it, at best, no not at all mediocre I mean, all right that's too much sorry i had opened my it's no it's like kind of stuffy in my apartment so i tried opening the, the uh balcony window but it's also raining so i don't want to mess with the podcast audio so sorry for that two seconds if that if the wind <laughs> came in but no, foul, I mean, listen, I think Dante will help that. And you saw that because Dante was very effective. And I, listen, I think they might have found something in James Vodders. Yeah. I really do. I, I've liked what I've seen from him. And it's not just that he had a strip sack play. It, it's He's been aggressive every week. And I think mm-hmm. that that's what they're looking for in their defense. And that's what Dean Pease has been looking for. And, and really what they've done with Vodders, with Rush, with Darren Bates, beyond the fact that, A, what you're seeing is elongated tri- – they're using the practice squad as elongated tryouts for a bunch of players, which some teams used to do with the old practice squad, but other teams kept, kept it as more developmental thing. Uh, the call-ups help because it gives them a chance to yep. try things out on Sundays. But what you're seeing is Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot and Dean Pease, they're not messing around when it comes to, hey, we're going to play the players that we feel can, can win, not necessarily – guys that we were beholden to because they were on the team last year or because mm-hmm. you, you stuck with them out of camp. And you're seeing that because you look at who they have released and you look at who they've kept. And, you know, that's a big deal. And they're, they're sticking with, they're sticking with the guys they feel can help them win games. And that goes a long way in the locker room, by the way, Yeah, where guys say, okay, no, look, if I'm playing well, I'm going to get, a, I'm going to get to stick around here. I'm not going to necessarily be dealing with a ton of politics. And that's, that's big when it comes to to teams and and teams trusting their coach and their front office. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. I think it was your Sunday podcast uh, where you took some questions. One of the questions that someone asked, and it it set me off a little bit. Um, they asked, you know, or, or made the comment, I think essentially, 
Um, great, the Falcons won, and now they're going to miss the playoffs and then miss out also on a top 10 pick. Um, and you addressed it on the podcast, uh, on your podcast, and it like it got to me because my first thought was, number one, um, Fontenot and Smith need to rebuild a winning culture. They don't want to go out there and be 0-17 just to get a top draft pick. That's going to demoralize all the guys that are in the locker room with them. And, you know, just from NFL history, uh, good teams draft well, no matter where they draft um, in draft position, you know, the Patriots very rarely drafted in the top 10 for 20 years. Very rarely drafted. Well, right. Well, that's true too, (laughs) but uh, Baltimore, Baltimore is probably a better example. Baltimore, Pittsburgh. I mean, yeah, uh, yeah. listen, no, it's, the draft is inexact, and that's the thing is that, you know, everybody's like, oh, top 10 picks, top 10 picks, top 10 picks. Okay, that's great. Mm-hmm. But here are, some, here are some other guys who were top 10 picks. Aaron Curry, <laughs> Justin Gilbert. Like, these dudes were top 10 picks, and they did not. Achilles Smith, Ryan Leaf. Blake Bortles. Blake Bortles. I mean, you, you, I mean, you can list, go through every draft. I mean, we could literally have an entire podcast going through every draft talking about top 10 picks that didn't work out. Mm-hmm. And that's something that, you know, I listen, the chance of you getting a Hall of Fame can't-miss player in the top five is obviously much higher than it is at 20. But you can get great players all throughout the draft. Mm-hmm. T.J. Watt. Great player. Guess who was drafted after? He was drafted after Ruben Foster and after Jared Davis. I and think San, both San Francisco and the Detroit Lions would much rather, have, if they had to do it over again, would take T.J. Watt. But guess what? T.J. Watt wouldn't follow them yeah. either. Like, T.J. Watt wouldn't get past five. The Falcons took Tack McKinley before they right. took T.J. Exactly. Watt. There, exactly. There's another example. So it's it's not necessarily where you're drafting. It's who you're drafting and are you, is your scouting department good enough? And Mm -hmm. also here's the thing. And and I actually wrote about, I wrote the story, the, the news story kind of went on unnoticed a little bit, but the seat, what the senior bowl is doing this year is they have hired a group. that's actually Atlanta based to uh, they're bringing them in, in as performance coaches, but also what they're doing is that group is also creating a survey. And part of what that survey is, is to help teams understand the mindsets of players because they're of the belief, and I am also of the belief, and I think teams are of the belief, that a lot of guys that are drafted are incredibly talented. And we see it with guys when they go to their second teams or third teams and all, or fourth teams in certain running back receivers case. And it finally clicks for them. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, well, why, why didn't that work maybe in place one? Well, because maybe that the way that that player prefers to be coached or needs to be coached doesn't fit with that coaching staff. Or maybe the culture of that organization doesn't necessarily mesh with the culture that that, that player might thrive in. That match is just as important as – maybe the talent on the field, because there are so many players that are talented, especially in the, those first two to three rounds, that that's part of it. And I think that is why you see the Steelers, arguably the Patriots, in terms of the draft, right? The Ravens, they, the Packers, they know 
the type of player, the type of mindset of player that works best in their system. And they try to match the talent with that. Yeah. Or so it seems. And that I think is part of why they're successful year over year. Seattle would be another example. And that, and if, and that is something I think that that can happen anywhere where you draft and listen, what we're seeing right now is that you don't always need to build through the draft. And I say that because if you look at the all-star team that's currently being built in <laughs> Los Angeles, in Los Angeles, or half of the all-star team that was built in Tampa, mm-hmm. not all of those. Now, Tampa did drafted more of those guys. And listen, the Rams <laughs> drafted a lot of that talent, you know, specifically guys like Cooper Cup, John Johnson before he left, Aaron Donald. Like those guys were drafted there, and those were big moves by them. But Matthew Stafford, Vaughn Miller, like they're 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 built, they can build that way too. So it's always gonna, I think that more and more you're gonna see a combination of both because people realize that you put a lot of money into draft picks, but if that guy doesn't work. And if he's a first or second round pick or even a third round pick, you're stuck with that guy for two to three years minimum mm-hmm. in hopes that he pans out. And mm-hmm. those guys sometimes don't. Yeah. You know, I mean, and that's – and I've seen it over and over and over again. Yeah. More you know, often. And because, because there's money. There's guaranteed money in there. And, you, and when you miss on one of those guys, it hurts you. Mm-hmm. Especially so, those first and second rounders. Yeah. Without a doubt. I mean, especially first rounders, especially quarterbacks. Like, that's what gets oh, you yeah. fired. Yeah. Which, on that note, you know, with Fontenot and Smith, they punted on making a decision on quarterback. Um, and they had two choices uh, in this past draft. Justin Fields, Mac Jones, both still on the board. But in some ways, I think, it, to your point, I feel like if you don't get the quarterback that you believe in, uh, the one that you know you can win with, um, that can end your career. You, you, yeah. Not many GMs oh, yeah, go yeah. Well, through. we talked about that, I think, the very first time I was on. Yeah. Because you, if you don't believe in the guy you're drafting, if you're drafting a quarterback just because you think you need a quarterback, you're, you're making a big mistake. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially in the situation Atlanta was in, because they had a quarterback who, by the way, how is Matt Ryan playing right now? <laughs> just, just saying, like, yeah, all these people, who wanted the Falcons to draft a quarterback, who said Matt Ryan was washed up. Where are those people today? Because Matt Ryan's playing at a Pro Bowl level. Right? Matt Ryan's thrown for over 330 in the last in three of the last four games. Matt Ryan is, I would argue, playing maybe some of his best football since 2016. Mm-hmm. And, and you look at the some of the offensive pieces he has, and it's not like he's sitting there with, as we talked about, a true number one receiver or a substantial run game. He's doing it with Corderell Patterson, who, as good as Corderell's playing, like, he's, you know, it's... They got Patterson for relatively cheap for a reason. Right, right. Patterson, and then Russell Gage, and and a rookie Kyle Pitts, who's going to be inconsistent. Mm -hmm. Like, as good as Kyle Pitts is. And he's really, really good. Like, still... Rookie tight end, we're seeing exactly what it's supposed to be. So, yeah, no, you don't take a quarterback unless you're in love with that quarterback. And you're seeing that, and you see it every single year. Because even though when teams are in love with that quarter, with a quarterback, sometimes it doesn't work. 
But if you're not fully invested and in love with that guy and know exactly how he's going to fit and how he's going to work in your system, why, why, why are you going to do that? Like what, what point does that serve? Because you're tied to that guy for a minimum of three years. And then if you're tied to that guy and you're wrong in the first round, that's when you're really in trouble because you might not, at least as definitely as a head, almost definitely as a head coach and possibly as a general manager, you're not going to get a chance to take the, the second one. Very rare do you get to be like Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy. <laughs> yeah, and they may not make no, it. No, it's necessary. a rarity. Yeah. It's a rarity. Yep. Speaking of, all right, Matt Ryan, great season so far. Um, it seems like as Better long as... Better podcast guest than me. <laughs> uh, that's debatable. That's debatable. No, he is. Uh, <laughs> you draw from the listeners. I don't. <laughs> That is not true. Um, you're one of our most heavily downloaded uh, podcast guests. But that notwithstanding. Um, well, by the way, if that's the case, come listen to my podcast too, please. Thank yes. you. Anyway, back, I, to, back, back to what you were saying. Sorry. I am the biggest advocate for your podcast. I know, podcast. and I'm appreciative of it. <laughs> um, no, th- this offense right now, um, minus the Carolina game. And I think you could make a case that the, the last second scratch of Calvin Ridley may have thrown off their game plan, may have sure. disrupted they the team. They won't say it, but yes. Yes. If you go back to Washington, this team has scored 27 points or more in every single game except for Carolina. Right. Um, but they have needed it. And I, to yeah. me, this feels like the story of the Falcons this year. They need Matt Ryan to be almost, almost perfect in order for them to even have a chance to win. The, the rushing game is one of the, the worst in the league, statistically. The defense, statistically, is one of the worst in the league. And yet, they're four and four. Um, assuming, and this is, I feel like it's not fair to ask your quarterback to play perfect for the rest of the season, but it almost seems like that's what we're going to have to ask. What do you think the trajectory is for the Falcons? Now, they may get Dante Fowler back. You know, that could help a little bit. But to me, just putting that out there first, I still feel like this is a team that's going to peak around 500. I know there's not a really a 500, but it's between seven and nine wins feels like the right trajectory. And it felt like yeah. the right trajectory coming in. How do you feel about that? I mean, I picked I, in our, our mid season report on ESPN.com. I went with them at eight and nine. Okay. And uh, I think that that's probably pretty close. By the way, there's also a chance. Don't get me wrong. I still think there's a chance that Calvin Ridley's back at some point this year. Sure. Uh, you know, I, we don't exactly know what that trajectory, what that timeline, if it's going to have, if he'll return, if he won't return, don't know. But if you get him back, that's a boom. That's a big boom into this offense. Because it's also, it's not like he was dealing with a ankle injury or a knee injury. Like, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's not that. So once he's back, you hope that he's, he's back. And, you know, there's, it's not like he's, you know, being hampered like last year with a foot injury. You know, it, it, when he's back, you hope that he's just back. But uh, I, so I'm going to make this comparison, and I feel like it's like once per show that this something like this happens, right? <laughs> because I was, no, I've been talking to a few friends about this, and a few people uh, who cover the NFL about this the last couple of years, or no, over the last couple of years, I've talked to them about this this week. And that this team reminds me a lot of the 2016 Detroit Lions. 
mm-hmm. and, which is a team that I have a lot of experience with. And here is why. They had no run game to speak of. Their defense was bad. They relied on exponentially great play from their quarterback. Matthew Stafford, I think, had like five or six come from behind wins. And we've yeah. already seen Matt Ryan do that. And they went a lot and they relied a lot on Matt Prater's foot. Matt Prater was one of the best kickers in the NFL that season. Young Wake who one of the best kickers in the NFL this season. But they needed so much from them. Now that team was a playoff team, but they were a playoff team that was clearly flawed. They got in on the last uh, in the last playoff seed, they went to Seattle, and Seattle just dominated that. Yeah. Like that, from like the middle of the first quarter, it was clear they were not winning that game. Now Matthew Stafford, if you remember, was he hurt his hand, mm-hmm. his finger, toward the end of that season. They lost three straight, including one that maybe they shouldn't have. And you know they got him in part because that game got flat. That Week Seventeen game between Green Bay and Detroit was supposed to be a winning in game and losing you're out. And then I forget whether it's the Giants or Washington. Whatever team had to lose for that time, that scenario not to happen, lost. So they were both in. It was just division title or wild card. But that team reminds me of this team. And, and I don't mean that in a bad way because that was a team that, again, went nine and seven, made the playoffs, and, you know, and actually saved Jim Caldwell's job for him um, because they made the playoffs. And it was going to be really hard to fire a guy in Detroit after you make the playoffs. But – when I watch this team, I see so many of the similarities between that, it, you know, down to the elite level corner because they had Darius Slay, Darius Slay. Yeah. AJ Terrell. I mean, the young elite level corner just coming into his own because Darius is really coming into his own. That, like they, they had the veteran linebacker presence. Like all the things that like there's the teams are very similar. So I think that this team is going to be the type of team, meaning this year's Falcons, that they're going to cause you a lot of agita. They just are. <laughs> like, that's their MO. That's their identity is, you know, grab the tongues. Yeah. Like, that's going to be what it is. But they're going to be in almost every game. Like, <clears throat> they're just going to be in almost every game. And they're going to have a shot to win most of those games. Now, whether they do or not, will maybe depend whether it's offense or defense that needs to score or get a stop. I think if it's the offense that needs to score, you got a better shot than if the defense needs to get a stop at this point based off of the of the evidence we've seen so far. But, yeah, I, I think that they're a team that's going to be hanging around. <laughs> it will not surprise me if they're sitting there going to Buffalo on January 2nd, needing a win one of their last two to get into the playoffs. Like, that would not shock me at all. Now, their last two games are against Buffalo and New Orleans. So, yeah. I mean, like, that's the biggest impediment, I think, for them right now is that that schedule, the back-end schedule is really hard. And that starts Sunday with Dallas. Sunday, then short week against New England. Listen, New England's not New England anymore, but – Bill Belichick still can really, really coach, and they still have talent on that team. You go to Jacksonville, and I mean, listen, Jacksonville found a way last week. You know, it's not a good team, but they have off they have decent offensive options, mm-hmm. and they have some talent. Uh, and it's a road game, and you're coming off of you know you get a mini buy, which helps. But then after that, you're playing Tampa. Yep. that's a that's a tough matchup for you. 
Then you go to Carolina, you lost them once already, and now they've got Cam Newton. You know, who knows what Cam Newton looks like at that point, but they've got Cam Newton. Then you have to go to San Francisco. San Francisco's got a lot of talent on that team. Also, kind of you're fighting with them potentially for that number set, number theoretically number six or number seven, but more than likely number seven. Number seven, yeah. You know, I mean, although who knows with if New Orleans can't figure out their quarterback situation, maybe the sixth seed becomes an option. The top five are really spoken for, in my opinion, at this point, mm-hmm. with Arizona, Green Bay, Tampa Bay, Dallas, and uh, the Rams. Mm-hmm. Like, the, in some order, you know, Rams or uh, Cardinals will be the five, and then some order, the, those teams end up being in the top four. But six and seven, I feel like, are, are pretty wide open at this point. And there's no reason I think that it won't be the Falcons. There's a lot of reasons to think it won't be. It, 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 you know, it, there's no reason to say it will or won't be at this point because every team that you're com- having a conversation about at that point is flawed. So could they get in the playoffs? Sure. But they they need to maybe win a couple games that we're not expecting them to win at this point. And, and that really includes Sunday. Sunday. I was about that, to say Sunday that. against Dallas, that includes Thursday. Because yeah. they, and they lose both of these and all of a sudden you're, you know, you're four and six and, okay, you're – you're battling, you know, you've got some tough deals. You do get to play the Lions, which helps, because at that point, who knows how hard the Lions will be playing, mm-hmm. uh, because that, that team's just, that, that team's in rough shape right now. I mean, they're they're uh, cascading toward a number one overall pick and maybe an 0-17 season, but you know, you, you, have to pick, you have to pick up the wins you know you can get, and to me, I think there are three kind of obvious have-to-get-them on the schedule. Still, and that's Detroit at Carolina and Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. And you get those three, and I think you have a shot. Yeah. Because I think you'll win, you'll win one, you can theoretically win one or two of those other games in theory, because some of those games, New Orleans, uh, New England, are, are true toss ups. Yeah, and I mean, listen. I didn't expect them to go in and beat New Orleans last week either, and and here we are. That you know, that they did. But I also thought they would beat Carolina. They also haven't won at home yet this year, by the way, which yeah. is really interesting to me. That if they can figure that stuff out, and and the last point I would say on this is Arthur Smith's offenses have typically gotten better as the year as the year has gone on. If you look mm-hmm. at 19, 2019 and 2020, they have improved. And that's, I asked them that a few weeks ago. Like, you know, when do you feel like you want your team to be peaking? And he didn't really answer it, but he kind of hinted, you know, you want to kind of see it toward the end of the year. And I, I think that they're building towards that because what we're seeing more often, if you take the opening weekend of the season out and you take the Carolina weekend out because every team has those types of games. I think think we saw that from Dallas on Sunday against them. Exactly. Almost every team has one or two or three of those in a year. uh, Unless, you know, unless you get really, really lucky. I mean, I would argue, you know, it sometimes depends who you're facing. Like I think LA had one of those against the lions, Mm -hmm. you know, but they were playing lions. So that, that helped them. Like, I think that, you know, if you happen to have it against a team that you're just that better, that much better than like, you can get away with it, but you take those two games out and you've seen steady progress week over week. I would say, and and someone might say, Hey, you're cherry picking that. And that's fair. But I look at it and I've seen steady progress from this team almost every week on offense and on defense, because don't forget 
before midway through the fourth quarter, this this offense, this defense played really well against the Saints. Like really, yeah. really well. Sure, it was Trevor Simeon, but really well against the Saints. Yeah. And that's, I mean, it's still a Sean Payton-led offense with a lot of options and a lot of weapons. And that's, again, I think something to build on. Yeah. And I think Arthur Smith is starting to figure out what does and doesn't work. Um, Felipe Franks, yeah. notwithstanding. Um, <laughs> well, I, but here's the thing. I, I mean, people are pointing that, right? It was only is two that, plays. It was two plays on Sunday. That was right. it. And, 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 but I think people are looking at it and saying, oh, look, you got too cute there. Mm-hmm. You know, on this, and they did. Yeah. Absolutely. But it's such a thing that they're not, maybe the Saints didn't prepare for and it's late in the game. If he doesn't get tripped up on the open field, uh, like if that doesn't get snuffed out pretty easily, he's probably gone for 15 yards and, and Arthur Smith looks like a genius. Yeah, yeah. So I understand the reasoning behind it. It just didn't work. And, you know, would I have gone that route at that point? No. But I also, you know, I'm not an NFL head coach. NFL head coaches are, are a lot football smarter than me. They are. Yeah. You know, as I, was, I was telling another, telling a young reporter this today, actually, like, because we were just talking about questions and I was talking about press conferences. And I was like, listen, here's the reality of it. As much as any reporter says they know this and they know that, we can study, study, study and, and talk to people and all of that. The reality is when it comes to X's and O's of football, any person that's talking to you about it, whether it's a player, whether it's a coach, whether it's a general manager, knows infinitely more than you or I. Yeah. And that's just the truth of it. It's just true. I didn't go to school for football. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they spend. You know? And while, and while these guys didn't go to school for football either, they lived it every day. Because if you if you yeah. know anything about college football, you know that that's really your major. Yeah. And these guys have lived it and breathed it, and it's literally their profession. Yep. Yeah, and I will I will say, um, looking back at the 2015 Falcons when they first changed over with Kyle Shanahan, and they were a little bit talent deficient, but they still had Julio Jones. They still had uh, you know some talented players on that offense. That offense struggled after their first you know few games where they sort of surprised people. Once they got figured out, they struggled to score for the rest of the year. Um, I'm actually a little bit surprised that Arthur Smith has had the success he's had already. Again, 27 points, 30 points, 27 points, 30 points. I mean, that's – for most NFL teams, that's enough to get you, you know, a win every Sunday. Yeah. Um, for the Falcons, it's not quite enough. <laughs> well, but it has, listen, it has been it has been a little bit. I mean, they, yeah. listen, they played some bad defenses too. Let's let's yeah. be honest here. I mean, the same to me, like we're talking about progress. That's something to take from they they won the game, but that's also something to take from that Saints game is they did that against a good defense. Yes, because like the Jets' defense is not good. Mm-hmm. Like Washington's defense should be very good, but is not. Mm-hmm. The Giants' defense theoretically should be good. And their Giants are playing a lot better, by the way. Yeah, they are. Uh, but was not great at that point, And they didn't score a ton against that. So you look at that and you say, okay, Miami's defense, not good. Like, New Orleans defense is good. So you can take something and say, hey, they figured something out offensively. And they really did. And they did yeah. it with, I mean, listen, they took a lot more shots downfield. They, there, there is something, I'm a big 
I'm a big proponent of there is something to once you win one or two games late, like the Falcons have mm-hmm. that, like I wrote and I wrote about it from uh, on Monday, but that becomes your identity. That becomes your DNA. I know we were talking about it before with like, you know, maybe this, they're going to cause your agent to get the tums, right? <laughs> like, but that's sometimes how teams feel most comfortable is in that situation where they need to do that. And I think I'm wondering whether this team is that type of team this year that that's when they feel most comfortable is when like the, you know, it's like crunch time and they need to make a play on offense to win. Yeah. You know, it's a dangerous game, but you know, because listen, this team, if they had the ability to like, they, they, their next step to me is to start closing out games. If they can start closing out games, I think this team is a playoff team. Because they should have been able to close. They they had the opportunities to close out the Saints. They had the opportunities to close out Washington. They had the opportunities to close out Miami. That is one of the areas where they are deficient now. And if they do make the playoffs, frankly, that's where they get beat. That's probably one area yeah. where they get bit badly if they make the playoffs. Again, that's still a very big if. Because you're going to be playing in the first round some form of team that's really freaking good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Probably the Rams or the Cardinals at this point, depending on who wins that division. Maybe. Um, I mean, that team, that team could get a big, end up being the one, though. And then I, on a personal level, if they get in the playoffs, I just want to go anywhere but Green Bay. I, I love Wisconsin. I love going back <laughs> up there. I really don't want to have to go up there on January 17th or whatever it would be. Oh, Been man. there, done that in January. Really have no desire to do it again. Yeah. I've uh, I once visited Montreal in the middle of February, and uh, that is not a pleasant experience if you if you spend time in the. Summer. No, but Montreal is at least easy to get to, dude. Green Bay is hard to get to. Oh man, I can't imagine. Plus, there's a lot of good food in Montreal. So. Yes, cheese <laughs> in Wisconsin. <laughs> oh my god, our conversations always find a, a different way to just touch on random topics. I love it. Um, all right, last last question for you. Um, as we look ahead to the Cowboys, because um, you your podcast uh, for those who are listening again from the perch, um, you had on the ESPN reporter for the Cowboys. Uh, he said something that surprised me, and that was that Dan Quinn, the defense coordinator, former head coach for the Falcons, obviously runs a lot more man coverage, and of course. In his time with Seattle, in his time with the, with the Falcons, he almost exclusively ran cover three. And yeah. it sounds like he's completely abandoned it. Um, that's notable to me because Matt Ryan has actually been very good in attacking man coverage. Um, and in fact, in that game-winning drive against the Saints, it was the man coverage with Quan Alexander on um, Cordero Patterson that Ryan saw and took advantage of to, for the 64-yard gain. So what do you think about this? And this is a defense now that will be missing their top pass rusher in Randy, in Randy Gregory. Top two um, in, because the Marcus Lawrence is Yeah, who's been out since uh, week two. Yeah. Um, and even before that point, uh, they were sort of middle of the road in sacks, in sack percentage. How do you think this one stacks up on Sunday? I mean, we talked about it, I think a little bit earlier. Like, I think it's it's a high power, high scoring game. Uh, I mean, the Falcons have shown they could put up a lot of points. Dallas last week aside has shown up they could put up a ton of points. 
I don't know if the Falcons have an answer for Zeke or mm-hmm. Tony Pollard. Uh, and I mean, Dak Prescott, if you can't get pressure on him and even when you can, he's, he can be lethal. And what we've seen from Dak Prescott is if you give him time, he's going to find one of his guys, whether it's Amari Cooper or, you know, Blake Jarwin. So yeah, or CD lamb. Yeah. And I think that that offense is just, I don't, you know, I, I think it could be a, a very easy day for the punters, put it that way, on both sides. <laughs> and I just think that you're going to see a lot. I think it's going to be a really high-scoring game now, which probably means it's going to be like 10-6. But <laughs> I think it's – I see it on paper being a really high-scoring game because I think mm-hmm. Atlanta's figured out something on offense. I don't know how Dallas tries to cover Kyle Pitts. I really hope to see a little bit of Kyle Pitts, Micah Parsons. I feel like that's going to, that would be a fascinating matchup. Uh, I actually have a, a story coming out on that. I don't know what day this, this is running, what, tomorrow, Friday? Yeah, Friday. Okay. So, yeah, we have a story coming out on, on Pitts and Parsons on Saturday. And, like, they have a history. They have a past. And, yeah, I, I think that, that it's going to be a really interesting situation. I love watching how teams handle try to cover quarter – you know, that I try to cover Cordero Patterson at this point because every team tries it a little differently, much like Kyle Pitts. And I think that those matchups are where the Falcons can take advantage. You know, who do they put Trayvon Diggs on? Do they put mm-hmm. Trayvon Diggs on Patterson? Do they put Trayvon Diggs on Pitts? Do they put Trayvon Diggs on Russell Gage? Like, that's a big question, right? Like, where did they do that? J. Ron Curse is a guy I'm – and, and Todd Archer talked about it. Actually, Todd Archer and I both talked about it on my podcast. This is a guy in Detroit last year that couldn't really get on the field. And the, in Minnesota was a special teams guy. He is a major player in their defense. Hmm. Uh, he's long. He's like, he's technically a safety. And, you know, how do they match? Where do, who does Keanu Neal match up on? Because Keanu Neal is basically playing linebacker right now. Linebacker. They put him on Kyle Pitts. That would be a really interesting matchup. So I think that there's nice little small matchups in here. They need something out of Mike Davis. They do. And, and at some point, if you don't get that, I wonder how long they, they go with that because they have to find something. But the question is, do they have anyone who can really run? Because as great as Cordero Patterson has been, it's largely been as a spot runner mm-hmm. and as a receiver. Mm-hmm. Like that's where Cordero has been really good. Like, if you put him in the backfield 15 times, it's not going to necessarily look pretty eight of those or nine of those. It's just not. And, like, so where, like, how can you, you just run with Mike Davis the rest of the year and just accept what it is? Do you hope that Mike Davis figures it out and, and gets starts getting some production? Because otherwise you're looking at Kadri Olson, who got called up from the practice squad last week but didn't get a carry. Or Wayne Gallman, who can't even be active, and actually was inactive in favor of Claudio Olson yeah. last week. Who so, didn't get the snap. Which, to me, if I'm a guy, if that's happening to me and I'm a player on the 53, I'm very concerned about my my job security. Yeah, But that's all I'll say. Yeah, I don't know how – I'd be very curious to see what the game plan is for Dallas and how to handle Atlanta's offense because Matt Ryan is playing incredibly well. I mean, Tajay Sharp's having a pretty decent – Few weeks. Uh, Olamide Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, yeah. 
I mean, but he, but the thing is with Olamide Zacchaeus, right? People are like, oh my God. But no, no, man. He just had two touchdowns, which is great, but he had three catches. Like, it's not <laughs> like he had a massive day. It just happened to be the guy they found in the end zone. You know, so I think that Atlanta puts up points, but Dallas's defense is better than Atlanta's defense. Mm-hmm. And I think at the end, they get, you know, one, two, or three stops that ends up being the difference in the game. Yeah. Yeah. I said uh, on a podcast earlier this week, if you like punter battles, this is probably not going to be the game for you. So, no, just, I think Justin Colquitt is going to not have a lot of work, which, you know, clearly means he's going to punt like seven times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're, everyone's predicting a, a, a shootout. Yeah. It feels like it's going to be like nine to six with the final score. Right. Um, which that, I don't know. I mean, that, which I don't would know favor the Falcons, was, actually. Because maybe. Their kicker, Maybe. I think, is uh, he's on the COVID list. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, young young way is great, but at the same time, it also means your offense has kind of gotten nowhere, and yeah. you know that's that's not great. And we've seen well, we've seen what happens with this team when the offense can't move the ball, and mm-hmm. it gets and what it means is the defense is on the field a long, long, long time because that's the thing. Dallas can grind you out with Zeke and yeah. Pollard yeah. if they need to. Like, and that offensive line. And, and, and honestly, if I'm Kellen Moore, a guy I covered, by the way, in Detroit, <laughs> uh, when he was the third-string quarterback for the Lions, oh, and everyone knew he was going to – everyone knew that he was going to be a coach. He didn't know how quickly, but he was going to be a coach. And now, I mean, he's going to be a head coach one day and should. Mm-hmm. That's going to be – I'll, I'll really be curious to see how that works out. But Kellen's not dumb. Like, you look at – the strengths and the weaknesses of Atlanta's defense. And you have a guy in Ezekiel Elliott who can make life absolutely miserable for this team. Mm-hmm. Absolutely miserable if he's healthy. And, you know, I think he was questionable or, you know, he, he got dinged up a little bit, I guess, last week. But yeah, Zeke Elliott's a guy that can make this, can literally wreck this game for the Falcons because he, if he can just, if they if they run the ball early and he's effective and they keep that defense on the field for a few eight minute drives in the first half, that can get really ugly for the Falcons if they can't if they can't match that to get the defense some time to rest. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's a, a huge, point. huge deal. Yep. Yeah, we'll see how this one plays out. I will say if somehow the Falcons come out of this with a win, I think it I think it'll change the perception a little bit of this team. Going forward, I would think so. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You go to Dallas and you win Dallas, a good Dallas team. Yeah. I think so. Now, the interesting thing will be, I think you're going to see fan. I think you're going to see. So, like, maybe this is where we end. You know, it is every home game I've noticed, and I've tweeted pictures every home game of the emptiness that is Mercedes Benz Stadium. Yeah, I will be shocked if Mercedes-Benz Stadium is empty on Thursday, a week from tonight, mm-hmm. because it's a primetime game. This team, even if they're four and five, is in it, and they're playing the Patriots. Like, first time you, first time the Patriots are in Atlanta in a long time, since before 283. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I, if Atlanta fans don't show up for that game, I don't think they'll show up for a game all season that's not the Saints. Yeah, I think you're probably And I don't think it'll matter how good the team is. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you not show up for that game? 
I think they will. I think you're right. And uh, I think you're also right. That's probably a good note to end it on. <laughs> um, before we start talking about other CW shows. So, uh, Michael, tell our listeners where they can find you about the podcast and what you have coming up. Sure. So you can re- read all my stuff at ESPN.com. As I mentioned, I have a story on Micah Parsons and Kyle Pitts that's running on Saturday. Uh, I have a story that, again, I'm not going to talk about that's running next week that uh, I've been kicking around for a while now. And I, I think that some people will learn, will learn some things out of that story uh, that they might find kind of interesting, kind of different. You can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram at Mike Rothstein. Of course, my podcast is from the perch. Come on over. Listen, we, we drop podcasts on Monday and on Thursday. The next couple of weeks are going to be a little screwy because of the Thursday night game. So we're going to have a couple of extra episodes in there as well. Uh, at least that's the plan as of now. My producer and I were talking about that yesterday. So those are mainly the places that you can find me at this point. I have a Facebook uh, Facebook page. It's Michael Rothstein Journalist. I try to post stories there, but uh, that was more of a Detroit thing. It seems like Atlanta fans have not really figured that spot out yet, uh, but I haven't done a great job of promoting it. So Twitter and Instagram, Mike Rothstein, podcast from The Purge, all my stuff at ESPN.com. And uh, occasionally here on the Falcoholic Podcast, like once every six weeks or so, it seems like. <laughs> Not that we're timing it. <laughs> oh, yes. And uh, strong recommend for me from podcast from Michael Disruptive but Great Rothstein. Again, the sticky note is staying on the monitor because that is a permanent nickname. And I'm gonna call I'm I'm gonna end this podcast by calling out Gina because one of these days <laughs> she has to return to the pod when I'm on. This has now been too straight that she's missed. Oh, I'm telling her to send you a message. She was planning to come on, and she was messaging me on the side uh, because of some stuff that had happened. But um, yes, uh, you can give her a hard time for that. Absolutely. Um, all right. As for you guys, you can follow me on Twitter at FalcoholicDW. Updates for this podcast at FalcoholicPod. And of course, our articles daily at thefalcoholic.com. So for Michael Disruptive, but great Rothstein, this is Dave Walker. Thank you guys for listening in. We'll talk with you next time.